Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. So we're going to be in chapter 2 today of Jonah. Now, I want to give just a little bit of review because I think for us to fully understand Jonah 2, we have to recap Jonah number chapter 1, right? And so if you are unfamiliar, many of us know the story of Jonah, right? It's a classic story. It's a classic tale. Uh, anytime you ask somebody, well, what do you know about Jonah? It's like, isn't that the guy who got swallowed by a big whale? It's like, almost. You swallowed by a big fish. We know if it was a whale. But usually that's what people know, right? But Jonah is such an amazing, amazing story about a man who is very disobedient to God, right? We see in Jonah chapter 1 the introduction of our character Jonah, right? Jonah was a prophet of God, meaning he was a man, but he was delivering the message of God to, to different people. And we see in Jonah 1 that he was given a call to go preach to a place called Nineveh. Now, of course, we remember last time we were together, and if you know anything about Bible history, Nineveh was an extremely dangerous city that was a part of what was known as the Assyrian Empire, which was a superpower at the time that Jonah lived. And these people were absolutely evil. And for a Jewish prophet like Jonah, they were Jew, Jonah probably knew when God told him to go preach to the place in Nineveh because they were evil, for them to go repent, repent, it's pretty obvious that Jonah was like, I am not doing that, I'm heading the other way. Right? And we see that he hops on a boat and he heads the complete opposite direction across the Mediterranean to a place called Tarshish. 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 See, I can't even say it. And God is clearly not pleased with Jonah. Right? And while on this boat, Jonah, being at the very bottom, he's trying literally as hard as he can to get away from the Lord and the calling that God laid on his life. And of course, we see that the Lord put a great storm on this boat, and, and everyone on the boat started freaking out. All the sailors who weren't even believers in the one true God, they were pagan, so they believed in many gods, right? And we see just this absolute chaos, and they look at Jonah, and they say, are you the reason for this, right? They cast lots, and it fell on Jonah. And so we see that Jonah recognizes this, and he says, yeah, you know, it's probably me. I'm not going to call him the T word this time, I promise. I said I wasn't going to do that again. But he clearly was the problem, and he knew that. And so what do they do? He says, he tells the sailors, he says, well, I think for the storm to calm down, they need to take me, Jonah, and toss me overboard. And sure enough, that's what they do. And at the end of the chapter, we would think that with God being angry, Jonah being thrown overboard, that's probably the end of Jonah, right? But we see the Lord does something pretty amazing. Of course, we all know this part of the story, right? This is the part that gets blown up with you know, uh, about any illustration of Jonah you find, you're always going to find that one creature there with him, right? The great whale. Because what does he do? The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So that's where our character is right now, right? It was quite the cliffhanger last time, I'm sure, where he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Like, oh man, what's going to happen next? Who knows, right? But we see something pretty amazing as we read through chapter 1. And, of course, as I mentioned this last time, one of the beautiful things about this story is even though it's in the Old Testament, it still has a lot of New Testament ideas. It has a lot of parallels between Jonah and the Gospels. There's plenty of things that we can see. And if you remember, we talked about Jonah doing three things throughout this story. And in chapter 1, we see that he was running away from God. 
Isn't that a lot like our lives, right? When we don't know Jesus as Lord, right, we're, all of our lives we're running away from God. We're trying to get as far away from the presence of the Lord because we know we have sin. But then we see this amazing thing happen in chapter 2 as we're going to read today. While Jonah's in the belly of the well, he starts to realize who saved his life. And as today, we're going to see that Jonah starts to run towards God. Now, does he do it very well? No, of course. But hopefully today you're going to be able to see these gospel connections. And so, if you're there in Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is what happens. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, but you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all the waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regards to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10, it says, The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That's the reading of the word. So today, our main goal, and here's what I really want us to focus on, is I want us to examine the prayer of Jonah piece by piece. And again, I don't want us to just view it as some Old Testament story that we just read at bedtimes, but I want us to read it as an event that actually happened to a real person and the implications it has for us as believers today as sinful man looking towards a holy God. Only this, I want us to have a gospel mindset. I want us to read this with the thought of Jesus in the forefront. Because you know what is so amazing? We've already talked about it today in this service. God is not one who is just full of wrath and anger all the time. Yes, he is, whenever you are unholy and unjustified. But through Christ, he is merciful and he's compassionate on those who ask for help from him. And so my hope for today is that if you do know Christ as Savior, as Lord over your life, that today you can rejoice in the fact that we can call upon the name of the Lord when we are in our trials and our troubles, and he answers us. But even more importantly, I pray that today, if you do not know Jesus as Lord, maybe this is your first time at church. Number one, welcome. I'm glad you're here. But I pray that if your story has been like Jonah, you've been running away from God as fast as you can, that today you can recognize that calling upon the name of the Lord is the greatest thing you can ever do. Because when Jesus becomes Lord over your life, as we're going to see throughout today's message, the God that we serve is not... a angry God who's throwing firebolts at you every time you do wrong. But when you look upon the Lord and you say, Lord, I need your help, he is merciful and he is just and he is able to bring you in. Because there's something that we're going to see today is that he is not just a great big God in the sky, but when you have Christ, he's your father. And we're going to see how great of a father he is. But for now, I want us to focus on the first part of Jonah chapter 2. Because for the first seven verses, we see a prayer of thanksgiving. Jonah realizes, right, as he was thrown over the boat, as far as Jonah was concerned, that was it. He had made God so angry that he was going to be cast into the sea, and that was it. But we see the Lord was not done with Jonah, was he? 
he has this great big fish. Now, I know oftentimes we get so caught up with the fish, right? That's, we always focus on the fish, the great big whale, right? But the important thing to realize with that is that the fish is just representing God's mercy on Jonah. Jonah is cast into the sea, and this fish comes and swallows him up to teach Jonah a lesson. Now, I don't know about you, but I really don't like it when God tries to teach me a lesson. <laughs> Sometimes it's not very comfortable. Could you imagine poor Jonah? We were talking about it in Sunday school this morning. Hannah brought up a good point. Do you think Jonah, like the pictures we see, right? Jonah is often see a really, really, really big fish, probably bigger than normal. And we see Jonah just all nice and cozy with his little uh, rocking chair that's floating on the water, right? And he's got his little notebook. He's taking notes of his prayer, right? Realistically, Jonah was probably in the belly of the fish with the acids all over him. He probably couldn't breathe. You can only imagine he's probably going in and out of consciousness, right? He is not very comfortable, more than likely. Put that image in your head there. But God is still merciful to Jonah by saving his life. And Jonah realizes that. And likely, with he, whether he was in consciousness or out of consciousness, he prays this. Let's reread verse 1 through 7. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet shall I again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit. O oh Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. and My prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Now notice here that Jonah should have very much so, he, this should have been the best opportunity for him to repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry, I have disobeyed your commandments you told me to go do this i went and did that lord i am sorry but we don't really see that do we as far as i'm concerned jonah is not fully repentant here but yet he is still acknowledging the fact that his lord is the one who saved him now i don't know about you but that just sounds like such an unfair trade-off with jonah being as sinful as he was right he went and he completely disobeyed the lord when the lord was good to him probably not probably, he was good to Jonah. And Jonah is being so disobedient, but yet here is the Lord God, who, like we read earlier, is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. He saved Jonah's life because he wasn't done with Jonah, right? And I think that's so amazing because there's this misunderstanding in our lives that our God, when he's angry at us, he doesn't love us. As we're going to see here in a little bit, that's not the case. But for Jonah right here, he realizes who saved his life. At the start of this chapter, and even bits and pieces in chapter 1, we see the mercy of God on display towards sinful man like Jonah. Though God could have so easily destroyed Jonah in a bit of holy rage, he doesn't. And instead, he allows this great fish to swallow him up and preserve him for multiple days. And oftentimes, I think about how amazing this story is because we see that in just these first few verses, we see a man who has truly reached the bottom of his life. He has reached the lowest of lows, both metaphorically and literally. 
Jonah has done all of the running that he possibly could, and he finally reached rock bottom. And only then did he say, thank you, Lord. Only then, after he was at the very bottom of the pit, that he finally decided, oh, yeah, God's good. Yeah, he's the one who saved my life. Yeah, he's great. Notice how whenever he was on the boat, he didn't say anything except he expressed who he was, right? He said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. But that's about all he says. He acknowledges who God is, but he's not truly trusting in God to do the things, to calm the storm, right? He, there's a lot of things with that that really resonate with me as a Christian because I face so many things that are just like that. Maybe not getting swallowed up by a big whale, but in our lives as believers, we have so much unbelief. And it's not until we reach the very bottom of the pit that we finally say, okay, yeah, God, you're good. Yeah, God, you have control over this. Oftentimes it takes us so long to get to that point, and I don't understand that. I don't know why our brains don't work like that. In our lives, I think about how easy it is to say, yeah, God, you're good, when things are going really, really well. And oftentimes we kind of don't even, sometimes we don't even do that. We don't even give God thanks when things are going well because it's, it's us who did it, right? Think about at work, maybe you get a raise, and you think to yourself, man, I'm so great. I did such a good job. Look, they gave me a raise. I'm good. Or maybe you save enough money and you and your spouse, you buy that dream house. And you look at it and you say, honey, look what we did. We saved all this money. We did this. But how often do we say, look what God did? Wow, look at what God has done in my life. So often we neglect that. Though I say that there are times, though, that we can say, yes, God, you are good when things are going well. But how much harder is it? When things are going really, really bad. How many of us are willing to admit that we give God praise even in dark times? In the darkest places. See, even Jonah recognized that in his need, in his time of trouble, he called upon the name of the Lord and he saved him. He gave God thanks for that. But how often do we ever do that? How often are we able to say, Lord, thank you for this trial that you placed before me. I don't think a lot of us do that, do we? That's not really how our brains operate. That's not how we as human beings live our lives, right? When things go bad, we instantly, sometimes we run away from God even further than we already did. But let me ask you this. Does that make God any less good when he puts a trial in our life to grow us? I think about... A couple weeks ago, or no, it wasn't a couple weeks ago. I always say a couple, anybody else do that? I say a couple weeks ago, and it was actually like two years ago. I, I can't seem to not do that. But a couple months ago, my grandpa, who is an amazing spiritual leader in my life, his name's Charles. My grandpa Charles, uh, I found out, has uh, stomach cancer. And I remember hearing about that, and I called him up. I said, Grandpa, how are you feeling about this? This is, you know, he's in his 80s, so he's kind of later in life. And so this diagnosis hit the family pretty hard. And i never forget, this man, he has been a spiritual leader in my life. Actually, the reason I'm in ministry today is because of my grandpa. But I remember hearing him say on the phone, he's like, you know, I don't really know what's going to happen next, but I know God's got this. And that God is going to be good through it all. See, I think for most of the world, that is just so counterintuitive. When things go wrong, we want to be angry about it. We want to be frustrated about it. But yet we realize God is still good and he's got us through it all. It doesn't matter if you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley. The God, God is the same God through it all. 
I think about what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. And again, this is think about this with a worldly mindset. It just doesn't make sense. But Paul writes to the believers at the church. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Did he say just some circumstances, only when life is going good? No, he says give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. See, in this story of Jonah, we see that it was only after Jonah hit rock bottom that he finally gave thanks and recognized the goodness of his God for his situation. That man, yeah, this is not the greatest thing, being in the belly of a fish, having all these nasty acids, taking bleaching my skin, right? That's not very ideal. But it sure does beat the other alternative, doesn't it? Being completely dead and destroyed. I think this is a good lesson for us as believers to not wait until we are at the depths and the very bottom to give thanks to our God. But to always give him thanks in every circumstance. Even when you don't want to, he's still worthy of your praise. Even when you don't feel like praising God, when you have that cancer diagnosis, when you're having those financial troubles, whenever you have been burdened by life, because let me tell you, it happens more often than you're on. I was told one time that you're going to be in the valley more than you're on the mountain, and that has just, again, just changes my mind on so many things. But to give God praise through that all, through it all. The other thing that I, I just keep thinking about is the fact that Jonah has a lot of psalm-like things that he says. Have you picked that out yet when we read this? In Jonah 2.2, it says, I called out on the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Does that sound familiar to some of you who know Scripture and the Psalms, right? What about Jonah 2.7? Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Maybe you are familiar, maybe you aren't, but if not, I'll read it to you. There's a few psalms that have very similar language. In Psalm chapter 3, verse 4, it says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. In Psalm chapter 120, verse 1, it says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. In Psalm 34, 4, it says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. And even further down in verse 6, it says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. I'll give you another example, one more. Psalm 40, verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Does that sound familiar at all to what we just read with Jonah? You know, what I think this does is it teaches us a lot about the character of our God, doesn't it? Maybe for some of us today, we came in today and we're like, I don't know anything about God, but he seems like he's angry all the time. He seems like he's just not... They say that he's loving, but why would a loving God do this? But have you noticed the language is that when people call upon the name of the Lord, does he ignore their call? 
you might say that this is kind of a generational thing. I don't know. But I have anxiety when people call me. <laughs> like, I sometimes I'm like, okay, I know I need to answer this call, but I might send it to voicemail and see. It's like, could you just text me? You know, for some of you guys in here, you're like, oh, gosh, you're so young <laughs> and ridiculous. <laughs> but for me, I'm just like, I get anxiety by it. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Should, I know I need to answer this. Or maybe you get that one person who calls you a lot, and you're like, I don't really want to talk to them right now. Right? Some of you are like, no, I do not relate with that at all, Trent. But some of the younger folks are probably like, yeah, I get that. Text me. Don't <laughs> call me. But the beautiful thing about our God is he doesn't do that to us. When we call, he picks up on the first ring. And that is just something that I think is so amazing about our God. Because, again, it's good to realize that if you were in Christ Jesus today, he's not just a God. Yes, he is. He's an amazing, mighty, awesome God. But he becomes something a lot more intimate to you. He becomes your father. And one of the most amazing things, and I absolutely love my dad, my earthly father. I know that whenever I call my earthly dad, when I have some kind of trouble, let me tell you, my poor dad has had a lot of phone calls in the last 10 years whenever I started living on my own. Because there's things I don't know how to do. I'm like, Dad, I don't know, I don't know how to deal with this. I, just this last week, I was dealing with the insurance companies. I'm like, Dad, I don't know what to do. But the beautiful thing about our God is he does the same thing. We have no idea. When we've tried every single avenue, we know that we can call our Heavenly Father. We could pray to Him, right? Obviously, I don't think God has a phone, but we could pray to our God and He answers us. In our times of distress, He answers us. And not only that, but He pulls us out of the miry bog and He sets us on the solid rock. You know what that solid rock is? That's Jesus Christ. You know what's so amazing is that song that we sang earlier, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I absolutely love reading through those stories because it reminds us of the character of God. He is a loving father to us. Now, I can say all day long how amazing God's love is, and I think you've heard it before. You hopefully know it by now. But one thing that I think we don't talk about enough in the church is the chastisement that God brings to his children when they do wrong. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but like an earthly father disciplines his children, our heavenly father disciplines us. And sometimes we're kind of awkward. It's like, ooh, I don't like thinking about that. Like, that doesn't sound right to me. But understand that we read through the scriptures, we understand that he does this because he loves us. Not because he wants to push us further into the ground whenever things aren't going well, right? When trials are placed in our way, we kind of think, well, why would God do that to me? He's growing me. And sometimes this chastisement is not fun. And for Jonah, it definitely was not fun, being in the belly of a fish. But he's teaching Jonah a lesson. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, I want to read this. This is kind of a lengthy passage, but I think it gives us a good idea of what chastisement is about and what it means for us as believers today. In verse 5, it says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one who he, what? Loves. And chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see what this is saying? Just like an earthly father who disciplines his children so they can grow and learn to become more obedient and become better people, right? So does our Heavenly Father discipline us to become better servants for him. Oftentimes, I think when we think about this idea of chastisement, it's not fun, obviously. And just like the scripture says, it is not fun in the time. But we realize after it happens, when these trials get placed in our ways, that the Lord is growing us through it. Otherwise, what Paul says in Romans 5, 3, it says not only that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see what this is saying? It's saying that we have to go through trials sometime, but our Lord is growing us through it. See, for Jonah, he could have been so easily, well, Obviously, we see he was not very repentant, right? But Jonah could have just easily said, Lord, I'm sorry. And then the Lord just says, okay, let me just carry you off to Nineveh in an easy way, a nice charter boat maybe, back to the other way. But he didn't do that. He wanted Jonah to see his mistake and realize what he needed was chastisement. You know, when I was growing up, I remember, I'm sure many of us who grew up with moms and dads who, uh, say what you want about this, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but the paddle, anybody grow up with a paddle, you, some of you are like traumatic, like, yeah. I'll tell you what, this is evil. I, I got to tell you all this story. My mom and dad usually are here. I'm glad they're not because I'd be so embarrassed with them being here. But one year for Christmas, I remember uh me and my younger brother, Connor, we, we sat down and they said, hey, we, we got a gift that you both can open up uh, for <laughs> uh, for Christmas this morning. It's from Santa. And they hand me this little oblong thing. I'm like, oh, what could it be? A new toy that we could share? I don't we open it up and it's a paddle. One side says Trent, the other side says Connor. <laughs> now, again, I don't have kids of my own. I have no idea. I don't... <laughs> Say what you want about that. But that was what we, my parents used to discipline us. And let me tell you, again, I'm not going to start the conversation there. But there was times in my life where I was very disobedient to my parents. And they disciplined me. And I did not like it at that time. In fact, it was very unpleasant. But as I've grown older, and not only just the paddle, that's one thing. But talking to me, sitting me down, saying, Trent, do you realize that this is wrong? You don't do that. For me, that grew me as a person, and it grows me to who I am as, as a man today. But sometimes we need that in our lives, and that's what Jonah needed here. Obviously, again, Jonah is not the perfect example. Because does he end up going and preaching to Nineveh? Absolutely. Does he enjoy it? No. As we're going to find out later, Jonah still is very stubborn. But we see at the very end, that's the first part. Jonah gives thanks to his God for saving him. But at the very end, Jonah has some pretty amazing things that he says that are pretty important for us as believers today. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake 
the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. To finish out Jonah's prayer, after recognizing his source of help was from the Lord, Jonah remembers back to the sailors who were on the boat with them earlier in chapter 1 and how they forsake their hope of steadfast love for vain idols. Again, I see this passage and I think of how useful it is for us as believers today. Because what happens when we go through seasons of trial and doubt? Do we tend to go running towards God or do we tend to go running towards the things of this world? We tend to go for the latter, don't we? We go for vain idols, these things that we try to place our hope in that are not Christ. In times of seasons of life where it's hard to see our God clearly, we try to turn to other things to fill those voids in our hearts. I think that's so amazing that Jonah even recognized that these other things that they're trying to trust in, they fail in comparison to the one true God. And that salvation truly does belong to the Lord from no one else but him. I have a commentary that I love reading. It's called the Christ Center Exposition. And I love what it has to say about the idea of vain idols in our life and having Christ as the forefront. It says, when life is stripped of every prop and facade that project our sense of happiness and of every shade that dims our ability to recognize our need to obey the Lord, we see that the Lord is the most important thing in our life. Everything else people seek after, those vain idols that we run after, are worthless compared to knowing Christ. I love that. Jonah recognized himself that all idols fail in comparison to the greatness of God and the salvation only belongs to the Lord. In verse 10, we see that after Jonah admitted all these things and gave the Lord thanks, it said that the fish spat, not just spat, my translation says it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. We can tell through this that, jo- that the Lord God was probably still displeased because who knows what Jonah's actual heart was, right? He said all these things, but the Lord still was displeased with him. Despite Jonah's admirable offering of thanksgiving and recognition of the goodness of his Lord, his offering was still displeasing to God. As we see in chapter 3, Jonah does submit to the Lord's plan, yet still has great hardness in his heart. So it's pretty evident through chapter 2 that who knows what Jonah was actually thinking. Jonah, after he preaches to Nineveh, as we're going to see in a few weeks, he was still not very thrilled that the Lord did what he promised to do. Right? He preaches to the people in Nineveh, they repent, and Jonah's still unhappy about it. What a jerk. (laughs) I almost said it. But we must recognize here, again, I said this early, and I've said it again and again, Jonah is not our example, but who is? Our Lord Jesus. I love this, and this is not my stuff, but I have to share it with you because it encouraged me so much, and it's so relevant to what we're talking about. I have another study that's from Midwestern Seminary of Jonah that parallels Jonah with Jesus Christ. Right? We already know about the three days and three nights, but there's so many other things that we see parallels of and see the greatness of our Lord. First, we see Jonah hated Nineveh and responded with anger. However, Jesus loved Jerusalem and wept over her. Jonah delighted to preach destruction in Nineveh, yet Jesus delighted to preach forgiveness by his blood. Jonah is full of sin, yet the Father mercifully spared him. Jesus had no sin, yet died like a sinner to deliver sinners like you and I. 
Jonah was in the belly of the fish and figuratively arose from the heart of the seas after three days. Thus was a foreshadowing that Jesus got up out of the belly of the earth after three days and was the substance of our faith. Just like Matthew 12, when Jesus talked about the sign of Jonah, he reminded those people something greater than Jonah is here, and that's him. So, today to finish out, I want to ask you this simple question. We talked about a lot of things today, but here's my ultimate question for you today, is are you still running away from God? Are you trying to do everything in your power to get away from the presence of the Lord? Or are you recognizing that salvation only belongs to the Lord and are you running towards him? It's either one or the other. But I want you to know that today there is a Lord, his name is Jesus Christ, and he is willing to save you if you accept him into your life today. There's two things, two questions. If we could tie it again, tie it together. I ask you this, are you waiting to reach the bottom of the rope to trust him? The bottom of Sheol? To finally say, yes, Jesus, you are Lord. Are you accepting him today as Savior and you're walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you placing vain idols at the forefront of your life thinking that those will satisfy your needs? Or do you have Jesus Christ as your chief cornerstone? I heard it said one time, and I'm sure I've said it before, but Jesus Christ died for you before you ever lived for him. And he is worthy of your worship and your praise, and he has truly given all of himself for you to know him. If you have me on Facebook, you saw that uh, I got a very generous gift uh, a couple days ago. <laughs> um, we had a gentleman, we have a lot of people come in from the highway who are usually in need of some kind of assistance. And uh, it was interesting. After talking to the gentleman, uh, I found out at one point he was a professional wrestler. And he's like, well, I don't want to bore you with that. But I said, no, no, I love wrestling. Tell me all about it. You know. And he, he just started telling his story. And anyway, he said he was a wrestler. Now he's not. And he mentioned, he said, well, hey, I got these three action figures that I don't really have any use for. Can, can you have them or give them to a kid? And, uh, I said, uh, sure. <laughs> and it was so funny because on Facebook, after I posted about that, we were able to help him out. And he gave me these action figures. I remember looking at Isaac being like, ah, I don't know what to do with these. But I had a lot of people say, like, well, that's all he had to give. Which, yeah, probably so. But it's so amazing. And I, there's another story. I'll be very brief with this. But the time that we were uh, door knocking, uh, in Gilman City, I'll never forget this. I, another Isaac and I story. We have we're dynamic duo at this point. Robin and Batman. I'm Robin probably, <laughs> but <laughs> but we were walking to this lady's house, and she you could clearly tell that she had some kind of dimension. She was living by herself, and uh, she was showing us all around her house and just all these cool things that she had. She painted saws out of all things. I thought that was so interesting. But she walked outside, and she had this big pile of rocks that she said came from a creek she lived at uh, near um, a creek that was near her house when she lived down in southern Missouri. And she looked at me and said, young man, come here. I want to give you something. I said, okay. And she walked over, and she picked up this very big rock, and she said, here, I want you to have this. And, of course, to me, I'm thinking, uh, ma'am, this is a rock. 
what do you want me to do with that? You know, but she was so generous in giving me this rock. And I think for so often, like, we laugh at that. But these people, both of these people, what I've learned with that is that they gave me all that they had. As simple as it was, it was so simple. Yet for them, it was everything to them. It had so much value. And I want you to know today that Jesus Christ had given all of himself to you. He said, I want you to have this relationship with my father because I want it. I want that relationship with you. And today, if you are running from God, I pray that today you are able to see the goodness of God towards sinful man. He is a merciful God, and he is so faithful to us, even when we're unfaithful to him. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.